Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, this is Alan Salkin, one of the occasional hosts of New Books in Food, one of the channels of the spectacular and amazing New Books Network, which has channels on every possible topic you can imagine, from New Books in Near Eastern Studies to New Books in Psychoanalysis to this channel, which is New Books in Food, which I started way back a few years ago now has a lot of hosts, a lot of great content. I'm the author of From Scratch, Inside the Food Network. I also have two other books. One is about Festivus, and my newest book is called The Method to the Madness, an oral history of Donald Trump, 1999 to 2015. But don't worry, not talking about politics today, talking about food and specifically the 2020 Zagat Guide to New York City Restaurants, a beloved uh, guidebook known to generations of New Yorkers that disappeared for a while uh, when Google owned it and stopped publishing the hard copy, but it has returned and under the ownership of uh, the infatuation. And we talk about all that and more, the history of it with Hillary Reinsberg, editor-in-chief of the infatuation and of the New Zagat Guide. Enjoy. Hi. Hi. I know you made a T-shirt that said these. This is what did it say? It said it's pronounced Zagat, but of course we don't actually give the pronunciation explanation. So um, yeah, we're just having Zagat pronounces his name, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, we often tell people it's Zagat, like the cat, rhymes with cat. Um, but that's been one of the fun things. A lot of people have asked us since we acquired the brand about a year and a half ago. People have said, "Okay, so my first big question is." They either want to know, are you bringing the book back, or how do you pronounce it? I uh, yeah, and I did the Target treatment to it for many years, Zajat, because I think I'm cleverer than everybody. Else. <laughs> That's just Jenna's attitude. Um, no, I like that. I haven't heard that before. That's a new one. Zajat, oh, that's great. I'm so happy. Yeah, it's very. No, I, I really haven't, and I have. I feel like I've heard almost everyone, <laughs> every other um, permutation of this. So that that's good. Well. Speaking of Tim Zagat, um, when I was at NYU Journalism School back in the room, um, I deliberately slurred that. Um, Brian Miller, who was then the New York Times restaurant critic, would talked about how he and Tim would just sort of do what now is called the bang, 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 where they would just get in a car and go to, you know, eat four or five dinners in a row at restaurants. Did you... Did Tim help out? Is he around? Did you interact with him? Sure. We know Tim. Tim has been a really great um, friend, as well as Nina, to our company. Um, Tim and Nina Zagat, who are the co-founders um, and are still married, um, since you know founded the company in 1979. They sold it to Google, who then um, had it for about seven years before we acquired it. Um, so Tim and Nina don't have... Um, an official role, but they are really close friends to the company um, and have helped us through and been advisors. Um, 
they celebrated at the 40th anniversary event that we had at Gramercy Tavern. Um, so we've, we've had many meals together, um, had many conversations and their insights have been really helpful. And um, I think we share really share the same values towards thinking about restaurants and the founding of, of the infatuation and the founding of Zagat actually, I think share um, a really similar story in a lot of ways. How so? You know, both came from the approach of filling a hole of something that wasn't being served in food media at the time or in restaurant discovery at the time. You know, Tim and Tim and Nina said, our friends know, um, you know, we think our friends know a lot about restaurants and, and we should sort of survey people who are restaurant goers to find out about, to, to sort of find out and have a different approach to, to discovering restaurants. And the infatuation was founded with the premise that what's, you know, it was really about situational dining and also reacting to a time in New York when they felt like, hey, it feels like there's something new that would be online, um, written in a different voice and style. So although the infatuation has always come from an editorial perspective of a small group of writers who write who write all the reviews, whereas the GAT has always been written by thousands of people who reply to the survey, I think a lot of the values and um, ways of thinking about that are have are really common, and that's why the brands work really well together. Okay, so now let's let's do the required step back. And sure. What was a get? It was a, I mean, it was a dining guy that came. It was a red little sort of rectangular, uh, standing up on its side book um, that contained reviews of what seemed like every restaurant or every restaurant other than, you know, takeout joints, uh, you know, Chinese takeout places, et cetera, that you might go to. And the reviews were, um, these little capsules that were somehow compiled from quotes. So there would be like three or four different little snippets of quotes in the review. And then it was accompanied by, um, uh, numbers and then the numbers were ratings on a, a 30 scale. Um, am I, does, do I have that? Right? That, that That's exactly right. Um, it was, you know, started in 1979 when Tim and Nina got, um, started circulating this survey to their oh, friends. They'd sort of, I'll interrupt you for one yeah. second. And I'm sorry, but it's also important to know that it was extremely important book, uh, in New York city. Like everyone had one, you kept it yeah. with you whenever possible because you never knew when you were going to need, you know, you weren't going to be at home and you needed a restaurant. People would end up buying like multiple copies because they'd run into a bookstore because they need to know there was no internet. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why it's in the shape that it is. The idea is that it could fit in your coat pocket um, or purse or maybe a large pocket. It does actually fit in the back of a, of a jeans pocket quite easily. And so the idea is that it was actually that just that, that you could carry it around in your coat pocket or your bag or whatever. Um, so yeah, what you said is, is just right. The survey grew and it was always based on this survey that was distributed to, to thousands or tens of thousands of New Yorkers. And then eventually people in cities all over the world who became, you know, and this was really the first time that any form of user generated content existed. So it was, it was a chance for diners to actually give their opinions before they could do it on, on other websites or, or other places. So, so that, you know, grew in popularity. And then at a group of editors would call together this long list of reviews. And so let's say, you know, this restaurant, La Bernadette receives, you know, several hundred comments. 
and an editor looks through all of them and and curates that into a let's say you know 50 to 70 word blurb um, and that is exactly what we did with the book when we brought it back this year as well. Um, and and uh, diners also vote on food decor and service. And that's what those 30 point ratings represent. Um, and we brought the book back this year after acquiring the brand a year and a half ago. We brought back the New York City book. There's a lot of other plans for the brand as well. But, you know, the one thing people kept asking us was, are you going to bring back the book? And we thought it was a kind of important way to show that the brand was in good hands and we really understood its history and people wanted it. So uh, well, these, we went about doing it over the past year. Well, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but I'll just, and, and I want to ask your biography a little bit too, but I can't help. Um, sure. You know, when, when Google bought it and paid a good price for it, they basically stripped it um, and thinking they could turn it into, uh, you know, a Yelp like product or something. And they had, they had digital plans for it. And the book was this like tangential thing that for a while they kept going. I mean, I'm friends with Kelly Dopkin who worked mm, at Google. And, yeah. Sure. Um, I would talk to her all the time about, you know, they, they basically, as far as I know, they kept the New York guide going just because of customer demand, but then they, they killed it because it's just not their thing. And, and then for a long time, it. I mean, I'm t- t- saying this because I feel like you're not going to want to piss on Google, but um, you know, there it, it was frustrating because it, it was really a, a mismatch. And I'm so glad that you guys, uh, you know, resuscitated it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you in a little while to force you to try to make some news. But tell me about you. And you grew up in New York City, but where in New York City? I grew up um, uptown, mostly on the Upper East Side, uh, briefly on the Upper West Side as well, um, and uh, now live in downtown Manhattan. I did go to high school in New York City, um, so I've lived here forever, grew up with the Zagat book in my house, certainly. I was just at my parents' house recently and saw, uh, saw, saw several books from the 90s, 2000s. Um, I think you'll find that in a lot of New York City oh, apartments, or you'll find people have them from from many decades past. You don't want to tell me what high school you went to? Oh, sure. I went to Horace Mann, which is in in Riverdale, in the Bronx, <laughs> uh, for for many many years of the, the whole the whole way through. Um, and then I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, came back to New York after that, and oh, look, I always wanted to be an editor. Um, I worked for every possible school paper there was that existed from high school on and did things like that in college as well. So I worked for, started a, uh, a blog that was part of the school magazine and, and sort of things of that nature and was just really excited about launching new products in media. And once I, I basically said, like, you know, I had helped start this website in college and said, basically just wanted to figure out how to do something like that for a job. So um, landed at a, at a media company called Abrams Media, and then landed at BuzzFeed for a couple of years, um, where I worked on the news as they were developing their journalistic operation and, and news operation. It wasn't called BuzzFeed News at the time. It was just BuzzFeed, and we were all in a room you know, with everything from we were covering the 2012 election, but also you know, um, celebrity cats were also coming into the office at the same time. And there was this very fun mix of all those things happening at once. Um, and then in 2000, the cats were famous. Oh yeah. You know, like grumpy cat. And I think there was a very famous one that, that came to the office that, that passed away recently. 
and I saw a lot of Twitter tributes to it. Um, so things like that, you know, there were like always internet culture was happening in the same place as political conversation, which we actually, you know, the philosophy of BuzzFeed was that that made a lot of sense, that that was the way people live their lives is we do like pet our dogs and look at pictures of animals and, and funny memes and talk about what's happening on TV and also are talking about politics. And I think that's only become more and more true with the evolution of Twitter and Facebook and these things all being on the same page. But, you know, newspapers have also been doing that for decades. And that was the philosophy there um, was a blend of all those things. And I did not write about food. Um, I was always interested in it. I, you know, grew up here, loved to travel, was always sort of adventurous in my exploration of food and travel and all of those things and, and loved seeking out new places. Um, but so I covered technology and culture and politics. And as, as I said, the BuzzFeed way, there was the encourage, you know, sort of diving into different things. I wrote about YouTube. I wrote about, you know, um, women in business, that things that don't necessarily all seem connected, but actually were, you know, in one way or another. Um, and while I was editing a, a fairly like heavy piece, actually, um, I um, sort of, um, it was all, you know, on the side, you would write fun, fun pieces. So I wrote, I was, it was in the height of the Corona, actually, if you can remember in like 2014, the Corona people were lining up down the street, which by the way, people are still doing and walking yes. down. Soho the other day. And I was like, written about that, about, you know, uh, on a, on Saturdays in Soho, people still line up for Cronuts, which is quite a testament, I think, to what they've done there. But, um, so I wrote this piece that was about, uh, foods, uh, underhyped foods, essentially in New York city that should, should deserve more hype. And, you know, kind of pulled everyone I knew and put together this list. I just thought it was fun. And I had grown up, come up in media in the time that you really had to, you know, be your own publicist in a lot of ways and do, I mean, I think you still do, but, you know, you had to send links to be included in someone else's link roundup, or you would kind of trade, like, I'll tweet this if you tweet that. And that was even pre-BuzzFeed, um, working for a site called Mogulite that was part of the Mediaite family of science. Um, which still exists. And that was just part of like what you did on at the end of the day was, okay, I, I got to get this. How am I going to get this shared around? We didn't have the spread that you now have like on Facebook um, or on, you know, people weren't thinking about newsletters. I don't think as in an as sophisticated a manner. So you would trade links. And it was just this habit of like, you wrote something about something that seemed relevant to someone else and you would just send it to them. It wasn't something I even thought twice about. And I carried that with me to BuzzFeed. So I wrote this piece about food and I thought, okay, I'm going to send it to some food people that I like. And I had been reading this site called Immaculate Infatuation at the time, um, written by these two guys in the music business. And I, my friends and I just loved their food reviews. We related to them. It was helpful to us. You know, we were all working hard and on the weekends wanting to go to a group dinner or something. That was what, what we turned to. We trusted their recommendations. So I sent it to them saying, hey, you guys might find this interesting check it out. And they were like, this is cool. And, um, you know, Andrew Steinfeld, one of the co-founders, uh, was, you know, worked in publicity, Chris worked in marketing and like, they were just, they responded and they connected with me and they were thinking about it and certainly did not send that email with the intention of a job, but, uh, we got to know each other. They invited me to a party and a couple months later they reached out and said, uh, would you be interested in coming and sort of joining us as our first editorial person? And I, Said, yes, this is actually just the type of thing I'm excited 
um, about an entre- something that blends editorial with something entrepreneurial. And that was um, over five years ago. Yeah, I wrote, people think I'm a food writer, and I am sometimes, but I, my main thing is food media. I wrote a book on the history of the Food Network. Um, so it's really a story about media and, and uh, television and everything else and br- a brand. And uh, so, you know, the founder of the Food Network, the, um, the guy that actually had the idea was not a guy who cooked. He was obsessed with pizza and then the uh, takeout pizza. And then the uh, first president of Food Network, Reese Schoenfeld, did not have a kitchen um, in his apartment. He and his wife, they lived at the um, Des Artes building on the Upper West Side, mm-hmm. and they'd had the kitchen removed um, for space, and they just had a coffee maker and, like, a cabinet for dog food. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, yeah, I mean, I am certainly not, like, I would not be... I should not be writing recipes. Right. Um, <laughs> I am capable of cooking, but uh, certainly, certainly an amateur cook, um, and you know, certainly read a lot of it. Um, love to cook, um, but I didn't come to it from a place of being an accomplished cook in any way. Um, I definitely came to it, came to writing about food and restaurants much more as a journalist and a consumer of restaurants. Um, and we find that to be the case with the writers that we've hired on the infatuation oh, yeah. for a while. They're thinking like, you know, what we want is for them to be thinking in the mindset of the restaurant goer. And that's, you know, I think that's what really any kind of good journalist or critic does is has some expertise and has knowledge of the space, but is able to translate that to an audience that isn't paying attention necessarily to this stuff day in and day yeah, out, yeah, the you know, following chefs and right. trends and all of that, like that's not you're looking for a restaurant. You want an entertaining, informative piece of writing, but you're not necessarily, you know. So we've always come and and we've come at least with that approach to the food space um, is making sure that people don't feel alienated by what they're reading, um, and that can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, but that we're kind of informing yeah, and thinking from a normal all kinds of turnoffs. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Before I turn away from you for a second, could your mo- was your mom a good cook? or your dad, or was there good food in your house, or was it mostly not that great, and you looked forward to going to restaurants? Um, no, we had good, we had good food in my house. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh... My mom was a terrible cook. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had, we always, look, we, we had good, we had pretty good food. It wasn't like, um, I think, <laughs> my mom actually very good at, like, composing, <laughs> Like yeah. things like salads. No, 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 no. not takeout. We, we really didn't eat takeout um, during the week um, much, but um, he's good at composing. Stuff. We always had, we did have our Chinese, yes. uh, we had our Chinese delivery spot on uh, on Friday nights that, that we would do and parents would, would be out and about. Um, so yeah, you know, it was nothing, nothing crazy, but um, yeah, we, we cooked and I did, you know, we learned to, to, to there was, cooking happening in my house and we also enjoyed like going out to dinner with each other as well and so i, I certainly grew up doing that too that you miss that's gone oh that's a good question oh, um i don't know well there was this restaurant called our place on the upper east side that mm-hmm. i don't know if it exactly still exists it's like changed ownership and management and that was that was our chinese delivery spot which is really good 
Um, and my friend famously always would come over and spend Friday nights with my brothers and I, and we would always order in from our place. And she always, years later, she actually was living, <laughs> living close to there. And she's like, what's your Chinese place called? And I said, our place. And she's like, no, but what's it called? And I think no, that's actually the name. And she's like, oh my God, for 20 years, I thought it was not called that. Um, so, oh, there were, you know, there was like an Italian restaurant called Parma on the Upper East Side that still exists that we used to go to. There's another one called Girasol. Like, they're not places that I particularly long to yeah. return to. They're just like, you know, it's the first place like a pesto pasta. And, um, but, you know, always, um, even going back, you know, pretty far, like my brothers and I were always interested in like exploring different neighborhoods. And there was something, even as soon, you know, definitely, certainly when I got to college in Philadelphia, I was always interested in, um, checking out different neighborhoods and knowing, and like that was already becoming a thing was like, let's go drive to this yes. place. It's supposed to have great pizza or we've heard, you know, the best, um, like Philadelphia has great Vietnamese food, which is not, you know, there wasn't so much of that in New York at the time. So we heard from my major in urban studies. And so we were always exploring the city and like going to, okay. So like we were like, heard that there was this really great place to eat food and things like that. So I was always exploring that stuff and that was family, friends, um, you know, that those values were kind of shared in among my community at large, um, through family and friends. And speaking of Philadelphia, you know, I, I, that I had that experience of arriving there once for business or I don't know what, and, uh, just, the first thing I did was go to the bookstore and buy the Zagat uh, for uh, Philadelphia, um, which is was about 10 bucks at the time. Now, I see that the book on Amazon is doing really well. It's, the, you know, it's the number one like urban guide or whatever they're, you know, one of those weird yeah. divided bestseller works. But even overall, it's like the number 2000 something on Amazon, which is a very good number. So the, the thing is selling. I don't know if you have any stats on how well it's done yet. Yeah, as you said, you know, it's it's done, it's been selling really well. We've been, you know, we were like at number 11 on Amazon. We've been listed in Publishers Weekly and in trade paperbacks at number four, I think. And so numbers have been, you know, it's it's hard to compare it to something else. Obviously, the book hasn't been out in a couple of years, but um, we printed, uh, printed 60,000. We've been selling really well. We feel, I mean, I think it's certainly like... Um, Going in, not not knowing what to expect. We've never published a book before. You know, we had a lot of great people helping us who, whether worked for Zayat before or worked in the industry, who help who've helped us understand that this is doing great. The reaction has been like really positive across the board. Um, and we've seen, you know, we've also been doing the corporate sales, which famously Zagat, like yes. from for its whole history, was extremely successful in selling as holiday gifts to companies. So like. HSBC would buy like a huge number of books. That's that's the one I actually saw um, on a bookshelf recently. Was like a HSBC right. one from two thousand nine or something. And you know, company there is you know Tim Zagat has amazing stories about just some of these massive orders that came in, and it was really brilliant. You know, it's an under it's an under twenty five dollar gift. It it was something people wanted. It fit into sort of some of the regulations around that. So amazing gift. Um, and that you know we saw uh, we saw some interest in that as well, and did those um, saw people print them up for for law firms and wealth management firms and yeah, it's a dentist thing. office everything. So so yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. So it's been selling it's been selling really well in bookstores and on Amazon, and it's also been uh, we've also been picking up that corporate 
sales business, which has been just like, look, the great thing about that is it's been a great way to get it, get it into people's hands. People, you know, this is this is anecdotal, but people have just been really excited. Every time I give them a book, they're like, oh, thank you. Wow. You know, um, the 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 act of being able to give someone a physical thing has been having worked in digital media for my whole career, that being able to give people that, that physical item has I've been kind of surprised by how that's felt and how excited people have been about that. Yeah, and of course, I've already lost mine. It's under a pile somewhere here. Well, in LA, so I'm not using it day by day. Okay, I'm well, excited. I opened it up. I was thrilled. And now we can send you another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I also, you know, books is a it's a different business. The scale's different. You know, you, it's print. You know, if you've got sixty thousand hits on a story, they'd probably be pretty good, but you wouldn't be doing backflips. Whereas selling if you could sell that print run that would be awesome for a book yeah yeah look i mean i think we all know that like comparing you can't do apples to apples in different an instagram like versus a story read versus buying a book versus going to see a movie they're all really different so we're not really looking to compare those numbers to anything else but you know making sure that it's good, a good business for us which it has been and it's also helped us you know i think there's more to it there it's, it's helped the brand get back into the world it's helped show that it's in good hands. We know what we're doing. And look, we've really, we have really big ambitions for what we're going to do with the brand beyond this one book. And this was really just the kickoff. So having that and having that been a success has just been a really great start. And we're kind of like one mile in. Um, and so, you know, in 2020, we're launching a handful of other, of other exciting things. So like this was it was the 40th anniversary of the brand. It was really the first big kickoff thing that we did with it. Um, and it felt really good. And, and I think we're coming out of it just, you know, only came out like six weeks ago or maybe five weeks ago. Um, so it's hard to make an analysis. It's hard to do a complete analysis on like exactly the future of it and all of that. But we feel really good about it so far. Well, you know, I'm holding the I do, what I could find was my Michelin Guide 2019 to California. All right. And LA has been really um, kind of controversial because yeah, Jonathan Gold, you know, the late Jonathan Gold, the great restaurant critic, he he did not want Michelin here. He felt mm -hmm. it was um, you know creating a standard that is not an LA restaurant type. We don't we don't care about you know the whiteness of the uh, you know napkins or whatever. And um, yeah. So I don't know, I'm not asking you to like pine on Michelin, and I'm, and I'm not saying my Michelin guide is more important than my Zagat guide. But what I what I do want to know, and you're not going to answer, but I want you to answer anyway, is when one okay. for LA a book. And and by the way, I know you're you're launching Zagat stories, and you know, yeah, I'm talking about that too. But sure. we're getting an LA book. I guess if I can tell people that, I would get new. I would make news. Uh, I don't think you can make news for you on that, but. What well, we are, <laughs> what I can tell you is we're launching a digital product in the next year. That's going to allow us to be in a lot of cities. So we're going to be launching the, you know, a sort of solving, serving the same purpose as the book, a digital product that will be user generated, but curated, um, that will be an answer to, you know, will, will be an answer to Zagat. And like, like Michelin is a, operates a different way. So, um, you know, they use, they use critics, um, who, who died anonymously and it's, it's a different, it's a different model. Sure. Um, so 
so books, I don't have any, I can't really say what, what the future of doing the books is going to be. However, um, we will be launching this, this again. No, we're, we're still, I mean, honestly, we're still figuring that out. Okay. What, what I do know is that we're definitely going to be launching uh, as a GAT digital product that will be in many cities yeah, I um, see and eventually yeah. worldwide. So, so that's an evolution of that's going to be happening in the next year. And whether that also includes a book component will remain to be seen. Um, we got to figure out sort of what makes the most sense, what there's demand for, um, what the market supports, how we, how we get this brand into more cities. I see on Zagat.com, when I pull it up here in L.A., it just immediately uh, goes to best steakhouses in L.A., where to eat in Grand Central. Yeah. 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 So, so that the, nice. our site is the, – the, the website that you see there is, is not is, – is in transition. It's not what you're going to be seeing uh, for all time. So we'll be, you know, throughout 2020 launching a new product that people will be able – as they contributed to the survey, like, you'll be able to contribute to Zagat. And – we've long felt with the infatuation that there's a great, there is like this important space to have a really great platform for people who really love restaurants to be involved in a community um, where you're submitting reviews of restaurants and rating and that rating things in that sense. So certainly there will be a Zagat presence in LA soon. In a lot of places, but <laughs> whether it is in a lot of places, whether it is, whether it is made out of trees or not, you know, is still, Remains to be seen. I hope so, but you know, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On Amazon, I was looking some of the the reviews, positive and negative, and um, just to you know, and, and this leads to a question of how you the mechanics of how it was put together this time. Since you know, I used to actually fill out the surveys way back when. Yeah, it was supposed to be that when you filled out the survey, they would send you know they would send mm-hmm. you a book for free. Yes. Um, and I would always complain that I never got my damn book. And then, you know, okay. so vociferously that they finally sent it to me. But I, I, I probably should, could have sold 10 freelance stories with the amount of letters that I wrote complaining. But um, the on Amazon, one of the reviews claims that, like, there's not enough theater district restaurants. Is Does it have as many restaurants as the old one did? Is it just that there's more restaurants in New York now or – there are there are fourteen hundred restaurants in the book, so there it's really there are there is a lot of coverage. Um, I don't exactly know what the number was on the last one, but I think you know it's broader than ever. There are a lot of theater there are quite a lot of theater district restaurants, I would say. Um, and you know, the, yeah, the mechanics of putting it together, I think, were probably pretty similar to they were in the past. And survey the survey was run in quite a similar way as it was in the past as well restaurants didn't pay because one of the reviews said certainly not they had you know oh these restaurants must not have paid you were you know you were charging to be included that's not true right absolutely not um both on the infatuation on both the infatuation and the guy we we don't do any business with restaurants um that's not our that's not our business model and we we don't we certainly don't accept that and you know, have have measures in place to make sure that people aren't cheating per se and things like that. So um, certainly no, certainly no pay for play. 
You remember ramen burgers? I do. They were listed on a... Oh, that was... I thought you were talking to me this. I did tweet that recently. We were were talking about trends of the decade and uh, ramen burgers and kind of like the Franken food of the decade, like sushi burritos or something that we were discussing as something that felt... That I think you'll look back and be like, oh, that was such a 2010s thing, you know? Mm. Like the sun-dried tomatoes of... uh, (laughs) <laughs> of the 90s or whatever those are good you know yes sun-dried tomatoes are totally good it was just that they were on every uh every day so we featured the so we featured the on the infatuation we do a like a very comedic uh top 10 fridays on instagram stories and we listed uh mutant foods i think it was like number two um our number two worst trend of the decade along with like rainbow bagels I think those are things that you'll look back and be like, oh, yes, that was such a 2015 thing. Um, in fact, and I don't know if this was a, I think you were, somebody on Infatuation came up with a list of lists that you're not actually. <laughs> One was a yeah. um, list of restaurants where you can <laughs> while having $75 hand lotion or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we were joking about yeah. Um, our our infatuation writers. Like the infatuation's always taken a really humorous, irreverent tone. Um, you know, respectful of restaurants, respectful of of, uh, of all the work that the chefs do. But like, we also have fun, and and that's that's not at the expense of restaurants. It's at it's at just like bringing a humorous approach to to the writing. And so at the end of the year, we always just have fun, and and a couple of the cities put together like ten rejected guide ideas because we do guides to everything like. You know, we'll do some silly guides like we did where to eat. We have a guide that's been really popular where to eat near um, where to eat near the restaurants that are near the subway when it's too cold to walk more than a block. And that's a real thing that people really love. And um, so we do, we do joke ones. I'm like, they're totally jokes. So I think one of them was like where to eat in Brooklyn Heights and see Adam Driver, um, <laughs> things like that. Or like restaurants. But one of our favorite one of my favorites was uh, restaurants you didn't think were restaurants and aren't. And uh, then it was like, I think we had uh, best, I'll pull, I'll pull it up. It's, it's best restaurant windows to stare out of while you listen to Evanescence. Yes. Um, bars where you have to, where you probably have to pick up your credit card keys and phone the next day. Uh, things like that. So, so, so we had fun with it. Yes, there was one of those great NYC restaurants where you can have a generous helping of $75 lotion. That's it. Uh, that was reacting to just like however, you know, what restaurants have nice, uh, restaurants having nice soap and Aesop soap and things in the bathroom. In LA is that it's not crawling with people like you in, in a way like, I mean, you know, I moved here two years ago, but, and I love it, but that, and I like this and hate this as a writer, like in New York, there's probably 10 other writers have walked by, you know, something and already thought of four story ideas, you know, on their way to work. Um, whereas here it's still very virgin territory, but then you're also like frustrated because like I live in Silver Lake and every single store in Silver Lake, no matter what else they sell, they sell candles <laughs> and crystals. No, there's some, no, there there's, a, a there's some crystals for crystals. sure. Yes. Yeah, candles are very popular. Coachella hats, usually. Yeah, I've been I, I've been to that store in Silver Lake. <laughs> I know there are many, but like there's one there's one right next to like Lamel Coffee that's 
that's that's the store I'm thinking of. That is a the candle store, the candle and maybe some crystals on like Oddity's store. Well, when you're um, a million, you just call it the center of the known universe. Okay, sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, but look, I think our our infatuation LA writers are are um, quite funny, and uh, yeah, our our lead our lead LA writer is is a. Um, Come, you know, was in the Groundlings and, and like right. very much come from a comedian, comedic place. And uh, just just read his review of Vespertine, which I think you know, caused, caused quite a stir. Uh, and I think he'll understand like our approach to things, not exclusively. Well, fact, but let's talk about that because I was going to ask you the and yeah, there's a lot of other great talents in LA, and it, it's exciting here. And yeah, you're, it's, you're, it's, it's great stuff. I mean, like media in LA is like I think the most exciting it's ever been. Oh yeah, no, and the LA Times is is and what Peter Meehan's done with the food section is spectacular, and the whole paper. I mean, it's it's wonderful and, and thrilling. Yeah, there's for a while there were really kind of you know we were yes felt like there wasn't a ton of food writing critics, and it's it's great to see, see a lot of it out there now. And if you've never listened to Jordan Oaken, he has a great podcast about LA restaurateurs. But cool, the uh, Air Jordan. But um, I was gonna talking about the Vespertine review, which I have not, <laughs> yeah. and I will, but. <laughs> That one nice thing about Zagat is, in a way, because it's user-generated content, the chefs can't really, you know, complain as much. But have they? No, I think, and and they really haven't had um, haven't had a bunch of negative feedback. But it really does, as you said, it comes from the surveys and the people and. Um, of course, those are edited and curated, but um, the, the scores and all the things that are said are um, come from the community of people. And they also come from a lot of people. So it's not just if something, whether positive or negative or or neither, is said, it's, you know, we're not including it. If, if one person says, like, the service is terrible, it, it, things that get included are a theme or, or something like that. So, so in general, if people like... Or one place says like, "Wow, the X is fantastic here." Um, it's typically because like that's been that's shown up several times, and our editors were keeping those things in mind. So it's like, yes, this was this is something that several people said, and um, you know, the restaurants need to like it needs to actually show to be a, a real trend and a real opinion that's backed by several people who took the survey. And how did word go out about the survey? And the survey was done online sure. this time. We didn't have, yes. nobody had to. It's been, yeah, it's been done. It's been done online for a while. Um, certainly through the Google days, it was, even, even um, I believe in the gap days um, in by the early two thousands, it was done, um, done online. I think in 2003, maybe I'd have to that? check. So we have, you know, we, of course, like own all of the gap. So the newsletters, social media, like all the platforms that they were already reaching, oh. um, we reached out to those people. We sent it out to the infatuation audience. We also, you know, press um, It was written about. It was covered in The New York Times. So people found out about it that way. And we also did outreach to um, things like neighborhood blogs and, and community groups to make sure that we also were representing the whole city. Um, so making sure that all the boroughs were covered, as many neighborhoods as possible were covered, and we wanted to make sure that we were getting, you know, a broad array of responses from all different types of people. And, you got um, some and we got ratings, right? and reviews. ratings and reviews. Yeah. So we looked at the, the feedback. We knew we needed to get a certain threshold of responses in order for it to be like essentially statistically significant. Um, based on, you know, the survey experts that we were working with and 
we, we, we hit that so quickly that we were, that's when we kind of knew, okay, this was, this was good. This was going to be good. And um, speaking of future plans, do we know mm-hmm. just about New York? Will there be a 2021 one? I cannot say that yet. Okay. Um, still figuring, still figuring that out. And I, you know, the book's still on sale and going to see, see where things continue to go. But in 2020, we'll definitely, you know, we'll be launching, as you mentioned, to get stories, which is going to be really like a companion site, uh, an editorial site, um, talking about the industry. So you'll see that soon. And then you'll also see the site, the uh, this new platform launching. And um, and so there will be more and lot, there will certainly be more opportunities for people in New York and other cities to contribute their opinions to the survey and have those be fed back into the world in, in some form. Now I have a question written in front of me that says, "How did Eats help?" So you guys run a food. <laughs> we do a food festival called EatsCon. We we don't pronounce it with all the e's, but you certainly can. Um, the short history of sure, sure. The, the short history. Said, okay, Gen X to me, but go ahead. Keep going. No, 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 not <laughs> at all. Uh, the short history of the festival. The hit- Short history of the festival and short history of the of the ETH hashtag. Look, look, when the infatuation was really built on the back of social media in such a big way in terms of us reaching audience, like just talking to people on Twitter, talking, building a community on Instagram, that was such a big part of the way that the brand grew. And it was really through that and word of mouth that it got out into the world. And oftentimes people say, that's how they first found out about us. So um, just shortly before I started, um, the, the infatuation was on Instagram and there were all these hashtags that people were using like hashtag foodie, hashtag nom nom. And it was all these things that we were like, we're never, you know, our founders were like, we would never really use those hashtags. They don't feel, they feel kind of dorky and not something we would want to use. And so a friend uh, was like, well, what if it was just something like, we were like, we should just come up with something silly to define our community. And so someone was like, how about eats with five E's. Uh, <laughs> and it became this rallying cry for people who felt similarly, you know, who were not too serious, really were passionate about food, but also didn't take it overly seriously. So that hashtag has been around for, for a while. And, and like, it kind of grew past us. It's been used over eight, 18 million times now, which is crazy. Um, and it really grew, it's grown into being like now there's this general food hashtag, but we still feel some ownership over it, certainly in a big way. And so we started a festival called EatsCon, that is really the Infatuations Food Festival. Started it in LA, we've done three in LA, two in New York. Um, and we think of it as really in the spirit, a food festival within the spirit of a music festival. So it's, it's not like tiny little tasting plates or little, you know, you're no one's walking around with like a uh, glass that's a necklace. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> uh, hold on just one sec. Yeah. Those yeah. things I realized, and that you know, that kind of got popularized at South Beach, at the South Beach, the giant South Beach sure. food festival, and they are obnoxious, and people end up they end up sometimes catching people's vomit because they drink so much. Or all, all that's true, and yet when you are walking around a food festival, yeah, it is nice having the wine around. <laughs> on the wine yeah. around your neck. Look, I'm certainly not opposed to the concept of having a wine glass, you know, attached to my body at all times. I see your point, but. We do serve a lot of wine and, and have a whole area called the wine room. And um, certainly something we're thinking about is, is talking to people more about wine in our voice as well. So so we bring restaurants we love. We bring great music. Lizzo actually performed at the first EatsCon, which 
uh, really right before she, she blew up, which was pretty awesome. Um, and we bring just like, yeah, you know, we have panels. We had Dwayne Wade speak at the one in New in New York. We had Dan Levy and Aquafina in LA. And like, it's just, it's a good time. We do it for two days. It's like, you come with friends. Um, tickets were, were 30 bucks last year with, with discounted prices if you bought them early and you pay for the food on site. You come with a group of friends, you share stuff. Um, and it's like a whole day experience. And, uh, it's, it's been just growing over the years and we'll continue to do so. And so what, you know, in a way, like what the Zagat guide is, is part of it, you know, and books are this way now, you know, as a writer, more and more, you know, I get asked just, you know, I don't, they're not even vanity publications. It's like a brand sees the value in a magazine and it may not be because they're going to sell watch ads, but they just think it connotes a certain luxury or something. So what you're, you know, you're talking about a food festival and, you know, it's, it's a, it's multi-level thing. And, you know, you, mm -hmm. you wear both a editorial and a business hat, uh, which is certainly yeah. what a lot of people do now. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I do want to, I guess I'll make a note to ask you that in a second, but the, <laughs> you know, I went over it actually to, uh, oh God, it's probably been two years. I went over to uh, tasty at Buzzfeed in LA, yeah. beautiful offices, but, and then they made a whole bunch of cutbacks and it's like, everyone's always trying to figure out, you know, the right model and everything else. And you, oftentimes what is tried is either uh, streaming or even, you know, selling a television show, like an, you know, mm -hmm. situation TV show. I don't know if, and, and maybe this has already been tried and I missed it, but um, I'm, I'm curious about whether you're thinking about that and also like just talking about the, the question of format that, that is the problem with food TV is nobody, mm -hmm. it, basically everything is either chopped you know, or Julia Child. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, certainly, we're thinking about all different kinds of formats or, right now, and you know, there's a thing. yeah, sure, lots of good stuff. You know, I think in all those formats, there's stuff that's great and stuff that's not. Um, and we are certainly thinking about different formats. The brand growing and expanding. You'll definitely see stuff in the coming years um, along the lines of different formats. Look like we experimented our foray into video early on was doing Instagram stories. Right. Um, and we found that to be like this great way to take our audience behind the scenes. And I think there are things that we've done on there that could certainly evolve into larger things on multiple, multiple different platforms. And um, we're certainly thinking about where our audience is and where they're going and um, the brand being, you know, the brand broadening and, and not, not really not changing, but existing in those different places, like definitely conversations that we're having right now. So maybe a television show on a, on a mainstream network branded infatuation at some point. Yeah, you know, <laughs> certainly don't know yet, but we're Thank we're thinking know. we're thinking in different places about um, yeah, about what what that could look like, and that's look like. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's and that's like look like we have we did a festival, we've done, um, you know, we're we're experimenting with some video stuff that will live on different platforms right now with the gap, and so. We're trying things and and I think the thing is like we have a great brand that connects with people and matters to people and that takes a long time to build on both sides. The GAT has been around for 40 years and the infatuation for you know for 10 and those that like we're excited to see what that looks like in different formats in different places. Yeah, and I I mean I think there's a tone that in a way it's been respect res the GAT has been respected and not overly infatuated. Um Yeah. 
it's not it it it, it does have like a you know even, and the way you know it was put out it looks the same it could yes live we went back to the old logo actually yeah. oh right oh there was a it, yeah yeah right so it, you know it could live next to your parents old copies and you know on, on the upper east side so sure. um now do your um do you and it's funny because you're even um well do you have a besides being a editor and uh you know working on these business propositions is there a secret memoir or novel that you really <laughs> want to write or do you mean to get back to or someday maybe maybe i don't know um i've uh i've i've certainly i have my ideas and and things no, I, yeah. I mean, I'm cert- we're certainly busy right now, and I feel really creatively satisfied by all the and inspired by the stuff. I, I feel like I'm learning, you know, especially now as we expand the brand. I, I feel really fortunate that I'm, you know, getting to lead and and help shape something, but also learning. Certainly learning a lot right now. You know, I certainly didn't know how to publish a book uh, nine months ago. I certainly didn't really know much about like TV production, but I have, you know, I, I do know quite a lot about like how to write about restaurants and how to talk to audience and how to launch websites and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've never produced like a, a massive piece of fiction, but you know, I have my ideas and things and I would love to write something at some point. Um, but it's not like, my, not my primary focus, but no you know, I think in the desk in your journal somewhere, or... oh, maybe, a, or maybe a couple things, but, uh, no, I, you know, I think some, from some past experiences, there are things that I've, uh, I've always wanted to write. No, no, not dating. That I've that's never been like my draw. But um, I always want to write something about a New York City apartment building. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've lived in a couple that have just like had their own quirks and lived in them my whole life. So. Uh, I think more, you know, like that type of thing. I worked in like this funny space around like, um, I, I also like lived in this funny world in 2012, um, like right when Lean In came out. And um, there was like this corporate feminism thing happening that I always like thought there was something interesting in as well that could happen interesting. There have been some things done. Um, Meg Walter wrote a book that was really great about that topic. And so like, I thought about that. Look, I think there's, there's things and there's, there's fun ideas in food and, you know, um, even on the infatuation, like we've, we've played around with some ideas of scripted things. And so that's been a fun place to learn and, and play in that space. So maybe someday, but like, I also really love working with people um, and being in a team and uh, helping shape like a vision and, and, the, and the business side too. So like, I don't know that I would be particularly great at like holding myself up in a, and sitting on my desk and just writing, uh, being able to produce that all day. Um, yes. But maybe at a different time of life like that. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm, I'm good at, I'm good at like, juggling a lot of different things and my brain being in, in a lot of places. And I, I get a little bit of a thrill out of that. So it would take sort of like a, a different kind of discipline to do that, but I would love to, to try it sometime and see if I can make it work right now. It's maybe not the time. It's really hard to, do. <laughs> to say no to a lot of things. And I, yes. my mind is similar to yours um, in that way. And I've had to, it's brutal to sit at the desk and to say no and to, and it's also fattening for me because chocolate is the engine. <laughs> yeah, sure. I used to always, 
really like to eat goldfish when I wrote. Goldfish, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> like goldfish, because they're, they have that. Oh, yeah. No, they have that cheesy. Like Oreos, yeah. They have that cheesy processed taste, but they don't uh, get, like, they don't make your fingers dirty, so you can type lighting them. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, that was the reason that goldfish, like, they don't have the thing of, like, you know, pirate's booty or one of those, like, Cheeto-esque things where, like, they make that are you cannot eat out of, you cannot eat that out of the computer. That is true. Goldfish, like goldfish, peanut M and M's, those are what you want to eat while you're typing because they're not going to make your computer disgusting. So, what food do you have in your office now? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have <laughs> we've had gold we have goldfish sometimes around, but uh, I don't know. There's God. There's a mix of all all the snacks. People are always. People are always uh, getting different things. You know what's like weirdly popular in our office is baby bell cheese, which is like such oh, a really? such a th- such a throwback item, but always very popular. You, Who knew? It's still in the wax, yeah, or is it- yeah, it's still in the wax. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one. Like someone sort of put that on like the order snack order, and like they always they always go. People are always very excited about them. Well, also they're they're one of those things. that's a little like money. I think you just feel like. <laughs> I mean, and also say more. Well, it's like it looks like something that's valuable. Okay, sure. You're right. It's also rare. It's like you don't. It's it's like the Bloomberg snack bar when I've been over there. Like you don't see them. It's rare, yeah. They're definitely still in the supermarket, but they there are a lot of varieties now. But they are they do seem kind of rare. Like if you see one, you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have one. Do they travel? Uh, I have not traveled. I have not traveled with one, but I have to imagine that the wax coating, like, I mean, I don't yeah. usually leave them in a hot car in LA, but like, but well, <laughs> it's always so freezing on airplanes and stuff anyway, that I think it would probably be fine. In my car, like car peanuts, peanuts like, are good. They're really useful. <laughs> I have a food writer. I feel that. A uh, food writer fiance who mocks me for my, food, my car peanuts. Um, no, no, I get it. Peanuts are great. Classic, an American classic. <laughs> and you don't have your hot and cold running, um, uh, or our, our cold brew on tap there. We do have some cold brew on tap. We make coffee. We have tea. You know, just the typical, the typical things. We well, keep no, people know, it's, fed. It's funny because it, you're talking yeah. about internet culture and yeah. Because you know, I was at the New York Times. I was on staff in like '06 to '09, right when we moved to the new building, and uh, you know, it's like. They were building a building to fight the last war because in the old building, there were no meeting rooms. So they built this building that had like infinite little cubby holes to meet in. But the kitchenettes were still just like circa 1987. Hmm. You know, it was you had to pay for everything still unless you wanted like decaf tea. Um, <laughs> and it's just it's 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 interesting how and, you know, and I I was fighting the war similar to what you're talking about now that's expected where people are promoting themselves on the social media, but there it was almost discouraged at that, mm. even though everyone else, anyway, it's just, I'm, fight, I'm still fighting my old war in my mind, but yeah, I think that the, the culture of, you know, internet companies having food around, <laughs> I'm not the first person to talk about this, but there is something I don't know. There's something generous and human about it that is also true, I think, amongst food writers who are surprisingly uncompetitive bunch, I think. We're all kind of, you know, because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but 
we all you get invited to a press event and um it's like we're all having this very sort of family like experience together where we're eating and drinking in a business sure. context and it, it's very it's it's a funny crossover yeah i mean we you know at the infatuation we don't we um we really don't because we're um the team is really all critics um and of course as we evolve there are people who are writing things and, and maybe aren't but in general our, our whole editorial team is is people who are critics and editors so we stay away from the the press dinners um just it with a really with a really honest understanding most any sort of pr person in la or new york would tell you like yes we know the infatuation doesn't come we want to just make sure that things stay honest and yeah. keep those ethics, which it makes, look, it makes sense for, it makes sense for, for people who are, who are doing who are reporting and interviewing um, to, to be at those things. If you're a critic, it, it doesn't. I mean, I think you see lots of New York times critics and, and LA course, times critics yeah. aren't there either. Yes. Um, but I think I still take your point to say that, look, I, I think the, the idea of being generous is it makes sense because like you're ta- you're sharing this, you're sharing places with people. And people always say to me, one thing that's funny is people always say, oh, don't, uh, don't write about my play, my favorite spot. It's like, I don't want you to know about it. And I'm like, how, why don't you want that restaurant to, if you really love a place, first of all, don't you want your friends or audience or whatever to know about it and experience that too? Like you would never say about a piece of music, like, oh no, 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 don't, don't read, like, don't, don't listen to this music. It's mine or, or music or like a designer or whatever it was or an artist. So. I'm always really excited to share stuff with people and especially look, if it's a smaller place that, you know, it's not an easy business. So if there's an opportunity to, to like support that place because it's great and, and make sure that they stay in business, like I think great. So um, I think there is some like, look, you gotta, gotta call it when places aren't, <laughs> aren't good as well. But yes. I think there's, you know, so it's, it's really about being fair. We're never like, trying to promote or take away business or anything, but we certainly want to celebrate those places that are kind of undiscovered gems. So, so yeah, I'm always like, Hey, you guys should go. Like I would of course tell you, you have to try this place too. Um, I don't think there being multiple reviews of a restaurant is something that anyone feels like, Oh, they beat us. Like you're on breaking news. If you went to a restaurant, you know, you're, you're providing a service as a critic. And so, um, Look, I think people read each other's stuff and find out about places through that. And so I think well, that, that makes sense. The, we all want the great restaurants to succeed. Yes. That was, though, the the kind of origins of internet. You know, I wrote the first <laughs> trend piece about the existence of food bloggers, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, it was just Ben and Lockhart, you know, were the only two people working at Eater then. And. Um, there was a that is in a way what the first thing that the food internet did, and uh, you know I know we have to wrap up in a minute, but the um, it was actually like because it was this tradition. The New York Times would wait you know months before going yeah. to the restaurant. Um, but the food internet guys, you know, inter, uh, eaters started um, the plywood alert or the right uh, just somebody yeah. would, so. They would go the first minute a restaurant was open and start writing a review of it, and it, it definitely changed uh, the way restaurants had soft yeah. openings. And I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I hear you. We look. We do sort of something where we do a bit of both. So we put places. We run on the infatuation openings 
you know, and it'll be interesting to think about how we do that with Zagat when it is a more user-driven platform, what that will look like. But on the infatuation, we do a couple of things. So we first cover places in openings. So we do an openings list where there's no opinion given. It's just, this is a restaurant open. The, the, for it is in this area that serves this and it, you know, et cetera. It's like two sentences um, because there is a world of people who want to track people want to know like a new place open in my neighborhood or I love to try every new sushi places that open. Like that's a thing that people want. Um, and then, you know, oftentimes like in the early weeks, we'll go check out places and then we'll put them on what we call the hit list. And that's our list of the best new restaurants. And unlike some other publications that do this, of course, like everyone does their new restaurants list. We don't add those places until someone has been and can actually confirm. Yes, I would send, I would like suggest sending people there. Cause we had had this experience where these places get written up, but they're not that great yet, or they're not great at all. And so we are pretty judicious about those decisions and like, should this place be on? Do we want to send people there? And that's like that first step of coverage of saying this place is good. Or if it's not, we might say like, Hey, it's not on the list right now. We might revisit it. And then after a certain, you know, a set period of time that feels appropriate, we will write like a full review if it feels warranted. So we take, like, we've considered all those things and try to do it in a step that feels like a balance of giving people what they want and being responsible. So it kind of goes through like various phases. And we also do ride alongs where, you know, we do Instagram stories. So oftentimes with new restaurants, especially like big name new openings, we'll kind of cover them in a few different phases. And then sometimes they're on the hit list and then they kind of like drop off and aren't good anymore or they get way better. And so we give them a bit of time, but we also do that like initial good enough to, to go. We think you should drive over there, whatever. Mm. It's, it's interesting, multi-level. And that's, look, that's evolved over time. Like day yeah. one, we didn't do that, but we started saying, oh, let's do this hit list and let's actually go to places. And we're like, oh, let's actually cover openings. Maybe we should put extra stuff in the newsletter. Like that's been, that's been a multi-step process that's evolved over five years. Uh, I have to ask the last question, which is, um, are you having any thoughts about this new California freelance law, AB5? It's interesting. So we don't, um, we are writers in LA and San Francisco are all full time. Um, so it's not something that we have been making like immediate decisions about right now, but I've certainly been reading about it and making sure, you know, making considerations, but our staff in, in California are full time. Oh, great. Okay. Our staff writers are, so we have an editor, um, and staff writers in all of those cities, in those two cities. Well, I hope there's more Zagat, Zaja guide. <laughs> Zaja, yeah. All right, Zaja. we're going to use that. Zaja. Uh, it was great talking to you. Please credit me, at Alan Salkin. And you are Hillary Reinsberg. It, and, yes. Uh, if you go to your page on the infatuation, all of your... Yes, I am. There and linked to yes. and Hillary H. Reins on... Twitter yes, yes. And, and Instagram and... Yes. I don't know what other platforms there are, but I'm probably that I'm probably that on there too. <laughs> I've never met you in person. TikTok eating together with you at some point, maybe. In yes, definitely. Yeah, Thank you got to come so to EatsCon in LA in May. Oh, you coming in May? Well, yeah, and I was saying, and you should come. <laughs> oh, that's the that's the Eats Festival. EatsCon in LA, yeah, in, in the end of May, end of May, May night. It's around May twentieth. Um, so, so usually, usually end end of May is. Is typically the date. I'd have to look up the exact one, but announcements coming soon about who will be there and tickets on sale in the new year. Awesome. I will be there. Okay. Awesome. All right. See you soon and thank you so much. Yes. All right. Bye.